ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Sober Grind. Today we have a special guest here, an amazing topic about meth addiction. As always, my name is Austin Armstrong, joined by my amazing co-host, Pej. Welcome back, Pej. Thanks. I'm frustrated with <laughs> that. And today we have our guest, Derek. Uh, Derek, welcome to the Sober Grind. Thank you. Yeah, it's uh, awesome to have you on here, man. Share a little bit about your story. Yeah, cool. it's good to be here. Yeah, so Derek, how long have you been, been sober now? And, and well, what was your drug choice? My is February 17, 2017, so it's, you know, a little over, about two and a half, two years and a month, half yeah. a month. That's awesome. Um, drug of choice is meth, um, or, I mean, alcohol. You know, it always went back to alcohol. I did meth so that I could drink more. Um, you know, it always just went back to alcohol, but the two of them in conjunction, mm. you know, daily basis for years. Gotcha. Yeah. Do you mind explaining, like, how, how'd you find meth? How did it come to you? Um, was it a buildup or no? You know, so I did a lot of coke when I was mm -hmm. when I was younger, um, and I was always curious about meth, but I didn't have like I guess maybe the courage to go out and actually like actively seek meth. Um, but I was living with a friend um, at my parents' house. I had no clue he was doing it, but I walked into the bedroom he was staying in, and he was just sitting there just twisting a pipe. Mm. And um, so the opportunity presented itself, and I immediately. Just, you know, yeah, can I try? Mm. And it was, it was off from there, you know. So you were doing coke before that? Yeah. How'd you t get turned on to coke? Um, just through friends, you know, in, in the summer going into high school. Um, you know, I had one friend who started doing it. It was a friend that I'd been friends with since I was in, like, first or second grade. So just, like, a lot of buddies just experimenting, doing, having fun? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it started off kind of innocent, too, you know. We didn't really have any necessarily, like, we didn't have a clue about what we were doing, you know? Yeah. How long uh, were you using it for before it started to get out of control? Uh, meth? Yeah. Oh, uh, like six hours. Oh, really? It was, I mean, it was, <laughs> it was right, out of yeah, control. Like, got it. Yeah, because, you know, I mean, I remember the first, <laughs> the first night that I did it, you know, I, I spent, um, it had to have been somewhere between like eight to 12 hours just doing this on the edge mm. of my bed. And then after that 12 hours, I was like, I need to get more of this. And I went into his room, I was like, we got to get more. Like, that's mm. it. I smoked all your shit, and we got to get more. Mm. Mm. And in my life, you know, it was just out of control. It was awful. Mm. Do you have any, like, crazy stories that you feel comfortable sharing? Um, I don't know if they're necessarily crazy, at least to the meth addict. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, you know, okay, so I'm, I'm originally from Boston. Okay, um, cool. And there was... Super Bowl, the Super Bowl where they played the Falcons, right? And it was like this historic comeback. Um, you know, even when I was kicked out of the house and I was living on the streets or with some random girl at the time, my parents, they invited me home to watch Super Bowl with them because it's practically a religious experience for us. Yeah. Um, and that was like my one thing, you know, like I can't come home for the holidays necessarily, but I can definitely come home for the Super Bowl. And that day I just told myself like, I'm going to get nice, nice and high before I go to the Super Bowl. And it's it's going to be a great game. Mm. And um, I went into a Wendy's bathroom and I started smoking meth. Mm. And I got so fucking paranoid. I'd probably already been awake like eight or nine days. Mm -hmm. you know? um, wow. I got so paranoid that I didn't, I, I locked myself in the stall in the Wendy's bathroom and I could not, I could not develop like a sense of how to get out of that bathroom. Mm -hmm. Like, I was trapped in it, basically. I had trapped myself in that restroom. By the time I eventually had gotten out, um, the game was over. And that was before the game started. So I spent, you know, a solid three and a half hours in a Wendy's restroom pacing, you know, 
just completely out of my fucking mind. Wow. Um, Did someone try and come in at all, or? Um, not into that stall in particular. Oh, you no. Know? Okay. Um, well, you heard them coming in and out of the people bathroom? People were coming in and out of the restroom those, wow. in those hours, yeah. And, you know, I had my, my kid on the floor and all this, you know? Mm-hmm. And I just, I couldn't develop the walls to get out. Once you're in a place like that for long enough, you're just like, I might as well fucking stay here anyway. You know, because now everybody's going to know what I was doing once I walk out. Mm-hmm. So, you know, not, you get psyched out, you know? Um, the other ones that I have, like, you know, they involve um, a girl uh, where I really, I spun out of control when I moved in mm-hmm. with her. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we both sold heroin to fund our meth habit. And um, eventually, I just, I, I lost it. I was in psychosis for I don't even know how long. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had completely covered the walls in tinfoil. Really? Um, yeah. Removed her windows mm-hmm. and just tinfoiled them out. Um, cut a little hole in it. What was the point of tinfoil? Just out of curiosity, what was going through your mind? Why did you so, use, <laughs> use tinfoil? That's, so a, that's, a, that's a major tweaker thing, like a lot of meth users. Tinfoil? Tinfoil, <laughs> duct tape, they go really far. Like, you can create a lot of things. I'm just curious, like, in this situation, what was the point of the tinfoil? So I checked my phone, and on the Wi-Fi list, it said, like, FBI 2.6 or whatever it was, right? Oh. And I looked out the window, and I saw an unmarked van. And I'm just, uh-huh. I, and so I lost my mind again, and I went for hours. So, so at, at no point did it ever cross your mind that perhaps the neighbors were just funny guys that put FBI on as their internet uh, code. Whether or, not, <laughs> whether or not it crossed my mind is irrelevant. Was I willing to take the risk? When you're up for a few <laughs> days, that van across the street mm. is definitely with the FBI. Right, 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 absolutely. And so I had to tinfoil that out because I thought that they were like listening into our conversations and hearing. I mean, thoughts. after all, tinfoil is definitely going to block out. <laughs> oh no, yeah, yeah. Well, see, and now I used to it's drive with plan. I used to drive with tinfoil and or plastic bags on my head. <coughs> Lovely. Really? When you were on meth. Yeah. Great. FBI too, or. Oh yeah, and just police, thought police. Like I believe that there were thought police were like there were just. That's so good. <laughs> Driving around with tinfoil and what else? Plastic, plastic bags. bags. Yeah, I mean, I'd like go to CVS and grab like a cookie and like or like mm-hmm. a candy bar and throw the candy bar in the trash and put the bag on and get in my car. And... Well, it makes a lot of sense to me. <laughs> I come from this. We're cut from the same cloth. Yeah. <laughs> At least to build robots and stuff. So how did how did you two uh, meet or get in touch? Um. Through the Canyon Club in the morning, okay. you know, once I got sober and I was in treatment, um, I went, we went to the morning meeting five days a week and, um, you guys connected pretty well. Well, he, he was working with another guy, a mentor mm. and, uh, and then down the line, he asked me to help him out Gotcha. Right. and now he helps me out. I do my best. Now we do our best not to wear tinfoil and uh, <laughs> plastic hats. Right. We get to share about it now. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. So no, we, now we use McDonald's Wi-Fi instead of... The, uh, <laughs> Shh, don't, don't blow our secrets. <laughs> right. Uh, well, it doesn't, apparently it doesn't work. Yeah. So when you, when you first wanted to seek recovery, was that, what was that like for you? To make that first... And how did you go about doing it? Did you make the call? Was it a family member? And so, what was that process like? So that's, that's a question that like, I talk about a lot when I, when I talk in meetings and stuff is... Um, a whole like a surrender story if you will you know it was um it was february 9th mm-hmm. 2017 when I, I i realized that like this is not 
um, all that I was meant to do. You know, this yeah. is this is not my life. It's not going to be my life for the rest of my life. Like I refuse to, you know. And I hadn't had that thought in years. Mm. Um, it's that moment of clarity. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, that was my first, and it was kind of my last one. You know, and I. But I also didn't. The word help was not a part of my vocabulary. You know, mm -hmm. I, a lot of pride, a lot of fear too. Um, I also didn't know if anybody else knew how bad it had gotten. So if I reached out for help, would they, would they take the request seriously? So I, you know, I thought of all these ideas and I, and I knew of a, of a guy who was working with the cops and I, I intentionally sold dope to him because I knew that that would get me into jail got and that it, I would, it would give me a chance so to detox. So you purposely got yourself arrested? Correct. Because that's the only way that you, you thought that you could get help. Yeah. Because I, I wasn't going to say that word. Yeah. You know? um, I also knew, like, I started looking up all the different yeah. offenses and, you know, the punishment in California for them for first and second time offenders and stuff. So I knew that I was going to get a slap on the wrist, PC 1000, go to treatment and make sure you go to, you know, 60 meetings and make sure you do this for a year. And, yeah. and after that, the charge goes away anyway. So, I mean, yeah. it just sounded like it was, it's not really a charge. It's mm -hmm. very temporary because I know mm -hmm. I'm going to get out and I'm going to start to do the right thing. Like, I was yeah. absolutely convinced of it. Um, so it worked in the end, you know, that was, that was the best idea I ever had to that's go amazing. to jail. <laughs> so what, one time through and, and you're yeah. a strong person. That's incredible. I mean, I was done. You yeah. Know? Um, I don't know if it has anything to do with strength as much strength as much as it has to do. It's just like understanding that like that is your bottom and that I don't have to go deeper because I can't, I know that I can continue to go lower and I can continue to go deeper, but like. It's, it's not worth it to me. You know, I mean, that was, that was hell enough. I gotcha. don't have to go any further. So was it that driving factor um, that continues to this day to um, continue your, your sobriety? Or was there a moment within treatment that really, you know, there was another that aha moment or something that really clicked with you? To I had several of those you. aha moments in treatment or maybe even just like in meetings outside of the treatment environment. Um, but yeah, I mean, because... So I, I left this part out, but when I got out of jail, that girl that I was living with, she returned some of my clothes, and inside of my jacket, there was mm. a bag of meth. Mm. And so I got loaded right before I went into treatment, one last time. Perfect. And so my first, my first six days in treatment, I was awake. The whole, the mm -hmm. whole calling the cops thing was a waste of time. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, <laughs> it, it was a push. It was, yeah. It was the push that I needed. But so that happened, and... Um, when I, when I came out of that haze of the first six days where I was spinning my gears around and stuff, um, there was a counselor who worked at the treatment center I went to. And um, I heard the first thing I remember hearing anybody say in treatment was exposure is the only thing that shame can't tolerate. Hmm. And, I, and I started to think immediately about all the shame that I was carrying around with me and all the remorse and all that, you know, all of that nastiness. And uh, how I just, at this, at this moment, like I cannot afford to not be honest. I cannot afford to not participate in these groups. I cannot afford to use again. I cannot afford to continue lying to people. Like I have to start communicating in this. I have to start taking this seriously. And I did. Once that happened, um, I started to really absorb it all. You know, mm -hmm. there were no, there was limited defiance at that point in group as it started out with defiance and constant like bantering and argument. You. Oh, all the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Arguing with, you know, the counselors and whatnot. Um, Boy, I could totally to be a fly on the wall. <laughs> it was it totally was it was terrible. The first you know six days mm -hmm. they were you know the um, 
program manager was constantly talking to me, and I'm like, oh, you can't tell our counselor what the what the primary function of the limbic system is, you know. And <laughs> I, yeah, so it was it was bad. But then after that, I, I like I said, I, I shut up. I got less defined. Yeah. I started to learn. He's a bit of a brainiac, if you couldn't tell. But you know what's really cool about Derek is that um, 23? Yeah. 23 years old. Um, I mean, just the way he's explaining like his, what happened and how it all changed and how he changed. Yeah. And how with he such clarity, out. too. With, with such clarity is the fact that he's highly intelligent. Yeah. He's an intellectual. But he's he put all the smarts aside and became open to it. And I've just seen a person, you know, in this age group, you don't see it that often to where they become completely open to this thing. Because mm-hmm. a lot of people will become completely open, but then they'll close off. And he's on the path. Yeah. You know, I, I, I know some people are here because they know why they're here and why they want to continue being on the path. And Derek is one of those who I've seen with that. You know, I don't see him like in relapse mode. I don't see him in his last 30 days. I see him more on the path. Well, he helps a lot of people. Mm-hmm. I mean, overall, like the whole point of coming and getting well isn't just to help yourself, but yeah. over a period of time, you start helping people, and he he goes above and beyond. He's of service to people, so I think that's one. That's the driving force behind his like long term recovery that he's it's already falling into place. That's amazing, man. Yeah, so, I appreciate that. Yeah, with uh, with I mean, that's a great segue too. I mean, do you have any favorite moments in recovery in these last two years? I mean, yeah, like, looking back on it, sure, um, but at the time, I didn't know that, like, certain things like um, SoCalipod, right, like that that conference, like, what, what I, is it, a young person's conference, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah so cool. the California Young People with Alcoholics Anonymous. Cool. Um, I do not like large crowds of people, especially large crowds of people who are of my age group. I, I don't get along with people my age very well. Mm. Um, but I went and I saw just like how much he gets along with people that are Albert Einstein's age. <laughs> well, childhood and have the brain capacity or similar to. I, I won't <laughs> confirm nor deny that. But, like, but yeah, I mean, it's hard for me to get along with people my age who are focused on different things. You know, I'm yeah. not focused on the things that other 23 year old guys are focused on anymore. Yeah. Um, but. But yes, yeah, so I went to that and like the fear of people kind of dissipated a little bit. Um, I saw how much AA can really come together in a large group setting, you know, like mm-hmm. I've seen it in small group settings inside of meetings and how one person is struggling and five people go up to that person and they kind of swarm them and, you know, get them out. Um, but in such a large setting like that with, you know, a few thousand strangers who suddenly walk into a hotel and because mm-hmm. of the fact that they have a common problem and a common solution, they know that they are not strangers. Yeah. You know, and I hated it in the moment. I did not enjoy the conference while I was there. Really? Um, the whole time? Because I was still in my head. I was okay. still like, oh, there's so many people. So... But after reflecting on it a while, like, I mean, it was a profound experience to see how the community actually works, how it integrates. So you know? much youth coming together in sobriety. Mm. It's very rare. What's the, uh, like, the age range? Like, what does uh, youth mean exactly? I don't know. I would say you anywhere know? from 18 to... 28. Okay. Majority are in their early 20s. And there there were older people there, um, but who got sober before that. They were super young. Gotcha. Yeah. So So there were people with 30 years there who had just gotten sober when they were 23. Gotcha. Um, 
Yeah, and that was the other cool thing too, is to see how many people had gotten sober that young. Um, sometimes when I am as, as young as I am and I, and I look around and I see people my age in their ninth treatment center um, or you know, still kind of tiptoeing around spirituality and around the 12 steps and around the big book and around meetings and around yeah. fellowshipping, it makes me feel like um, I almost don't necessarily belong here. And, and that's kind of discouraging. You know, but that's also very localized. But once I went to Socalipa, and I realized how many people my age are actually doing this thing and how not alone I actually am, mm -hmm. um, that was another part of like why it was, was profound. It was a very special uh, experience for me. Yeah. I, I loved it, in hindsight. You mm -hmm. know. Thank you for sharing that. That's awesome. awesome. So, um, Pej mentioned that you're, you're helping a lot of people too. What, what are you doing with your life now? Um, well, for work... Um, you know, I don't, I don't work in treatment. I work with people with autism and, wow. and Down syndrome and cerebral what do you, palsy. What do you do with that? That's awesome. I'm a community employment supervisor right now. So Very I, cool. um, I take, um, clients who either do have, um, few vocational skills and occupational skills and I develop them. I help mm. train them. Um, and then after that, like, you know, there's, there's interview training and all that kind of stuff and, um, communication skills and, and, all, and um, Dexterity, you know, for people with cerebral palsy, um, teach them how to use their hands and stuff. And then after that, like once they're ready, you take them to a job site, mm -hmm. and um, you get them interviews and they get a job. And then you train them at that job site, um, and hopefully over the course of a long time, you know, it doesn't happen quickly. They become more independent, um, and they don't need you there anymore. And they can just work there. Yeah. That sounds incredibly rewarding. How did you get into that? So my mother, I started to get into like minor, um, you know, behavioral troubles when I was in elementary school, gotcha. um, just small little rebellion, you know, um, my mom was an aide for an elementary school for people with autism. And once I started to get in trouble, she took me there in the summer for a mm. couple of years. And at the time it was a drag, but then I realized like through middle school and through high school that like. I was the only one of my friends who was not talking shit on him, who was not like bullying mm -hmm. them. Like I had a sort of affection or an affinity toward that, toward that population. And then yeah. when I got sober, um, you know, this is one of those things where Pej would drop, is it God or is it God? Um, I was working an absolutely miserable job at McDonald's. You um, were? Yeah. Off of Ortega. Mm. And um, a friend <laughs> that I used to live across the street from in San Diego that I grew up with who I had no clue lived in Lake Forest at the time, walked in, and she was working for the company that I work for now. Mm -hmm. And I was just searching for an out to get out of McDonald's, but I had no resume, you know? Yeah. The jobs that I have had, I don't put them on a resume at this point in my life, you know? And um, so I just asked her, and she got me a job there. And it was just like, I got out of McDonald's that day, and I applied that day, and I got the job on the spot. And that's, it's that's been about a, 18 months now. Wow. You, you don't, so you don't put McDonald's on your resume? No, I will put McDonald's on my resume because yeah. I didn't, I didn't like get fired for okay. drinking or whatever there. The jobs before, right? Gotcha. Yeah, none of those are jobs that I will ever put on a resume. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. that's amazing. So, um, because this is online, both in podcast and, and live streaming too, uh, there's probably some young people that are watching this, uh, maybe your age, maybe a little younger, maybe a little older, or maybe even parents. What advice would you offer to somebody that's watching this right now or listening to this that maybe they're struggling with, with math or addiction in general? Um, you know, to parents, this is something that 
I I always say, you know, I have a I have a coworker who has a son who's who's struggling with math and you know, I, I just at least my experience told me that I had to go through my own process. I yeah. had to I had to reach my own bottom. My parents tried to coddle me mm-hmm. um, for a while. Yeah. And when I pushed away and resisted and they, they, they swarmed me even more, it pushed me further away. Yeah. And, you know, it's hard, I understand, for all parents to hear that, but to let them go through their own process, to let them fall, to let them see a jail cell, you know, to let them go to TJ, you yeah. know, and, and come back with pockets full of whatever. Like, that's going to happen, you know? Right. And that has to happen. You know, that might have to happen, at least, for them to realize, like, this... If not the life that they have to live, and you know, if it's someone who actually is struggling with active meth addiction, then um, basically just yeah, there's nothing in my opinion. There's nothing that you can say to someone who's in active meth addiction. It's mm-hmm. just you know, I'm here when you're ready. You know, mm-hmm. so is Pej. So is an entire society of people. Um, we got you. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it, you know, it's a, it's a rough one. You can't get through to someone on meth. Well, that's really powerful, man. Um, thank you so much for sharing your story. Yeah, you're really welcome. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Do you have any questions? Or no, actually, I just wanted to talk about a couple of things, though, real yeah. quick. So, obviously, we have, a, we have a Facebook group called Ask an Addiction Specialist. Yes. Um, it's an actual group. You have to be added to it. But if you want to come in there and you want to talk to us, we have uh, professionals and people that are in the recovery community that can ask or answer any questions that you happen to have. Whether you're struggling or you have a family member that's struggling, it's called Ask an Addiction Specialist, and we would be happy to have you interact with us in there. And then The Sober Grind can be found in many different platforms. It's in podcast form. It's on Google Play, on iTunes, it's on YouTube, it's on iHeartRadio, it's on Stitcher? Yes. Is that what you call it? Yep. Pretty much anywhere you listen to Anywhere. You can just type in The Sober Grind. Yep. It's even on Instagram? So we're on Instagram. On Instagram. And um, we have a lot of past episodes we would love to have you on the show if you would please write us a review and give us a five top star review that's depending on if you like the show and if you have any questions if you have any substance or anything that you would like us to talk about future topics please let us know um we're on youtube too yeah right we've been filming a lot of side videos for youtube um there's one that's actually killing it right now it's um Crystal meth, the devil's oh, yeah. Dwarf. Yeah, you crossed 50,000 today. Everywhere I go yeah, now, yeah. people are telling me that they've seen me on YouTube. It's, a, <laughs> it's so, because it's so relatable. It's just a really good video. There's a lot of tweakers out there. Or, <laughs> or I like the funny, the funny comments that the people say, yeah. I like meth. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course he has some funny. As he's in the pipe. But also, more recently, we've been um, actively, uh, we had some events that happened at UCI. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's University of California, Irvine. This last week we were talking about prescription pills. It was called Flip the Script. Awesome event. A lot mm-hmm. of students came out. A lot of staff came out. We talked about um, you know kids, students that are addicted to prescription pills and the different variables and, and how how you can be addicted. And uh, we're gonna be, there's something coming up on Wednesday this week. Yeah, at UCI as well. It's uh, tomorrow. Um, it's a student health and wellness event. Uh, so it's free to the public, uh, free to students, family members. It's in the uh, UCI Student Center. Um, uh, beginning treatment centers will be there. A lot of other great resources, companies, organizations will be there. Mm-hmm. Um, if you've ever been to an event like this, you can come for the free swag. Get all those uh, the bags and pens and sunglasses and whatnot. If no other reason, get the, the free swag. <laughs> 
Awesome. Well, thank you all so much. Like Pej said, if you're ever struggling with an addiction, whether it's yourself or a loved one, and you ever need help, you can always reach out to myself, to Pej, uh, or you can call Beginnings Treatment Centers 24-7 at 800-387-6907, and someone will be there to help you and understand what you're going through. Until next time, Derek, it was a pleasure, man. Thank you for joining us on the Silver Grind. Over and out. Silver Grind out.